Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church. Unlike normal Sundays, this week's sermon is a little more topical, and it contains uh, sensitive language. So if you have little ears listening, be aware that there will be some adult topics covered. Uh, And if you're not ready to have conversations about those topics just yet, then this would be a great time to choose another sermon to listen to. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you've enjoyed this sermon from our series, Wisdom for Life, a study on Proverbs. For more information about CBC, go to the website, cbcsavannah.com. You are the holy God. You're the Lord of all. We praise you, Lord God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Never grow tired or weary. Young men grow tired and weary. We stumble and faint, but you are the everlasting God. All power belongs to you, all strength belongs to you, all might belongs to you. Everything that we love, it finds its origin in you. All the love, all the joy, all the goodness, it's all your idea. And we just admit this morning that we're your creatures. We exist by you, we exist for you. Our hope is in you. And this morning, Lord God, we are just desperately needy for you. We are needy for you. We we need your spirit to hear from your word so that there would be lasting change in our lives. We need you. Apart, Apart from you, Jesus, we can do nothing. And Lord, I can do nothing apart from you. I am weak. I am forgetful of the grace that you've given me. I'm filled with sin. And I just ask for your grace on me. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease. I pray that your word would be clear and that you would bear fruit to the glory of your name. Come, Holy Spirit, now and work, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, We are wrapping up Proverbs today, you guys. We've been in our series called Wisdom for Life. And we've been kind of taking one topic after another in the book of Proverbs as we've considered how to live skillfully in God's world. And today, we get to look at one more topic, a topic that has multiple chapters committed just to it, a topic that is a huge issue in our culture. Um, But before we get to it, I want to talk about fishing. I'm not a big fisherman, um, but here's what I do know about fishing. I know that if you use the right bait, you can catch just about anything. So when I grew up, me and my uh, brother, when we were on vacation, we go fishing for catfish. And we put a little piece of a hot dog on the end of the hook. And it was just a matter of seconds before you, before you caught something with a hot dog on the hook. Well, I remember we are fishing one time, pulling a catfish, take a good look at him, take him off, throw him back, put, a, uh, put another hot dog on the hook, cast it in. And sure enough, the very next cast I catch the same exact catfish. (laughs) And I think, fish are dumb. 
I mean, this fish is not exactly living skillfully in God's world. Does he not know that there is a hook underneath the bait? And friends, as I read this week what the Proverbs has to say about this topic, hit me that we're just like fish. Keep running back to the bait. In fact, in the book of James, James, which is almost like a Proverbs of the New Testament, James uses fishing language to talk about this temptation. He says that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Today we're talking about lust and all the fruits of lust. Primarily here, the fruit of lust is adultery. Um, but we know that Jesus redefines that for us. He says that anyone who looks lustfully on a woman in his heart has committed adultery with her. So we're going to talk about pornography. We're going to talk about kind of the, the various different means by which lust plays out. Um, and before we dive in, let me just, let me slowly win you over to my side. Bill always gives me the most difficult sermons. <laughs> he does, so my last three are divorce, the final judgment, and now lust and adultery in the Proverbs. So just slowly come on over. Next time, next time I get up, just, you know, who knows what I'll be talking about. Um, but, but Bill, here's what he says. He says that I'm the resident expert in this topic, and so I must give this sermon. That's funny. You can laugh. It's supposed to be a joke. Um, <laughs> some of you guys are nervous already. You're talking about lust. <laughs> Don't laugh. Um, no, here's, here's the truth. Truth is, uh, a few weeks back, I went to Bill, and I said, hey, buddy, can I, can I teach on lust from the Proverbs? Um, because here's the truth about me, you guys. In ninth grade, I took the bait. I became addicted to pornography. And for six years, the fangs of sexual sin were deep in me. And so I know what it feels like to be disgusted with yourself. I know what it's like to hurt other people deeply. Um, but I also, most importantly, I know what it's like to experience the grace of God. And I know what it's like to start to find freedom and healing in God's grace. And so I'm eager to preach this sermon today. I'm pumped to preach this sermon today. And I've got three goals for us. First, um, we need to acknowledge that this bait, this temptation is very real, and it's real for the vast majority of the people in this room. Okay, so we need to quit pretending like we're exempt. That's the one thing we want to accomplish. The second thing that we need to see is this. There is a very real hook underneath the bait. And we want to look soberly at the hook that's trying to destroy us. And then last and most importantly, we want to hone in on the grace of God. And when we, talk, we want to talk about, man, how do we experience God's grace? How do we find freedom? How do we find healing from sexual sin? So that's where we're going. Um, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 5. And friends, just a, a reminder of the gift of the book that you have in your lap. Almighty God has authored this book. Two billion people do not have it. It has everything that we need for life and godliness. Um, an honor to sit under the Word of God. So turn to Proverbs 5. We'll jump right in. Um, as you're going there, let, let me tell you a little bit about the author. If there was ever an expert on the topic of lust, Solomon was the guy. 700 wives. 700, okay? It's one each day for two years. Plus 300 concubines. So Solomon's an expert. Many of these women, 1 Kings 11 tells us, turned his heart away from the Lord. And he is writing the book of Proverbs to his sons to say, don't make the same mistakes I made. 
don't do it. And he commits chapters 5 through 7 to this topic. And here's what he's doing in chapters 5 through 7. He's using this literary device of personification, and he's talking about lust as if she were a forbidden woman. So here's what I want to make sure you don't misunderstand. Don't, don't think that this is only a struggle for men, and don't think that women are bad in causing, causing all this. Solomon's simply saying, he's using a figure of speech to say, lust is like this forbidden woman. Just like he says, you know, he paints Lady Wisdom in chapter 8 is this beautiful, dignified woman. So that's all that's going on here. And we see right up front in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, that avoiding the forbidden woman, avoiding debate, is a matter of wisdom. Look at these first two verses with me. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. Okay, this is about wisdom and understanding and knowledge, avoiding this forbidden woman. But just because it's wise to avoid her doesn't make the temptation any less real. We see that in the next verse. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Notice how sensual this sounds. Her lips drip honey. Her speech is smooth. Does the same thing in chapter 7 with an extended chunk of verses. And here's what he's telling his sons. I get it. This is attractive. This is enticing. That's why he uses this provocative language. He's saying, this is a real temptation. But it's bait. And friends, in 3,000 years since this was written, nothing's changed. Well, the only thing that's changed is that there's just more bait. It's everywhere. Because now it's not just the temptation that Solomon's sons face of physical adultery. It is the temptation of images everywhere that you look, hundreds of times per day. Every time you turn on the TV, the bait is dangled in front of your face. There is erotic literature. There's internet pornography. There are websites that are dedicated to connecting people to have secret affairs. The bait is everywhere. And friends, the statistics show that we are taking the bait. And it's not just young men who are taking the bait. It's old and young. It's men and women. Listen listen to a few stats I ran across this week. Two out of three men view pornography at least once a month. One out of five women are addicted to to pornography. By the time they're 18, 97% of boys will have engaged with porn. And 83% of girls will engage with porn. By the time they're 19, 80% of teenagers will have had sex. Um, Erotic literature is on the rise. The book Fifty Shades of Grey, which people call girl porn or mom porn, has sold over 100 million copies. And is one of the top 10 best-selling books of all time. So Bible, Koran, Hobbit. Something like that. (laughs) Fifty Shades of Grey. 
Stats say that in America, one out of three men will have an affair and one out of four women will have an affair. The low end of those statistics, the conservative end, is above, above 20%. We're taking the bait. Right? And we're not just taking the bait. There is a major temptation for some of us to be the bait. Right? And stats show that women are struggling with lust more than they ever have. But what, what might be a struggle for you is that you lust after being lusted after. You desire to be desired. You want to draw sensual attention to your body. And yes, men contribute to this, no doubt. And yes, the culture pressures you into this. Three out of four teenage girls say they feel like society tells them that one of the most important things they can do is attract boys. But whether we are chasing the forbidden woman or whether we are trying to be like the forbidden woman, we're taking the bait. And Proverbs shows us so clearly that there is a hook underneath. And this hook is different than fishing, okay? When you fish and that fish takes a bite, line snaps and you got him. But lust is a little bit different. It's this slow cycle. It takes you deeper and darker over time. Right? And, and the first evidence of the hook being in is... It's not that bad. It's just simple dissatisfaction. This is usually where it starts, with dissatisfaction. You can throw the slide up for that one. Um, What was begun with just a look or just a thought or just a flirtation? You, You chase that rabbit and the door opens, right? And at first, you feel like you have arrived. There's this secretive passion. And your heart is beating fast and it is exhilarating. You feel like you've discovered something. But then slowly over time, it just just stops satisfying. You start to feel more and more empty. It's like this. Think about the last time you went to the mall food court, okay? Think about the last time you went to the mall food court. You go into the mall food court, and the, uh, the aroma of mall food court Japanese food encompasses everything, okay? And your heart was set on Chick-fil-A when you walked in, but that, that aroma is getting stronger and stronger. And then there's that sweet lady who hands you a sample. And you think, you know, it's a sample going to hurt. Just have a little taste. So you have your little taste of your teriyaki chicken, and you think, it's not bad. That's pretty good. And then you have this moment of decision. Do I go with Chick-fil-A, which I know the Lord is leading me to do, or, <laughs> or do I go with this Japanese food that is tempting me? And in a moment of weakness, you choose the Japanese food. And you sit down with your foam to-go box and start eating. You get about, first couple bites are all right. You get about five bites in, and you think, it's just not that good. <laughs> and then what's worse even than when you're not enjoying it while you're eating it is then how you feel after you've eaten it, right? Just dissatisfaction. And that's how the hook of sexual sin begins. Just stops delivering. But pretty quickly, it gets worse. The next step down is enslavement. Um, 
It doesn't take long for us to start feeling like we need it. Start thinking about it. Become dependent on it. Start organizing your days around it. Start hiding things. And every once in a while, a moment of sobriety, you will look up. And it's like you've been in this undertow. You look up and you think, how did I get here? And you're stuck in behaviors that you can't change. And, and, and Solomon explains it in chapter 5, verse 22. He says, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. Now, sexual sin is enslaving. And it's not just enslaving spiritually. It is, it is enslaving psychologically and even biologically now. More and more studies are coming out. And these studies, you guys, are coming out not from Christian sources. Okay? Especially with pornography, more and more secular research is showing how damaging this stuff really is. And so one article that I read this week came from The Guardian. If you're not familiar with The Guardian, The Guardian is a self-proclaimed left-leaning British publication. So they are not exactly pushing the uh, evangelical agenda. Um, and here's what they cited. They cited a Cambridge neuropsychiatrist. Um, you can be impressed with me for pronouncing that right. Um, I was a PE major. That's tough for me. Um, and, and here's what this guy's research found. That when somebody looks at pornography, large amounts of dopamine are released in the reward center of the brain. As they continue to look at it, that... Uh, that, that is reinforced, okay? More and more dopamine is released. This behavior is learned. So now this becomes the pathway for what you're attracted to. And so the brain is actually being trained to be attracted to more and more erotic things, more and more demented things. And, and the fruit is essentially that sex with a spouse becomes no longer exciting because your brain has now been wired to think about sex in a certain way. And Pardon the vulgarity of this illustration. Um, but if it's true at the extreme, then it's true for us. This article cites a former girlfriend of Hugh Hefner, who said that Hugh Hefner could not um, complete sexual activity without internet pornography. His mind had been that altered. Friends, this is enslaving stuff. But it doesn't just enslave Next step down is this. Um, if we continue, it's going to hurt ourselves and it's going to hurt other people. It's just a matter of time. Let me, let me read you a couple verses from chapter 6. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? And then a few verses later. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Okay, just engage with your own heart right here. If you have ever been trapped in sexual sin, or if you have ever experienced even the smallest taste of consequences from sexual sin, you know it hurts other people, or you know it hurts yourself. Okay, and think about how it begins. It's this double life where you kind of start covering things up, and then all of a sudden the peace that was once inside, it just starts to go away. And you start to be on edge all the time. There's this internal anxiety, and then it brings tension uh, into your relationships. And, and the shame that it brings, and the guilt that it brings. And you feel like you can't even look in the mirror. You don't even want to. And if you do, you just want to cuss at yourself. 
you don't want to open your Bible, you don't want to pray, you don't want to come be around Christians because you feel like a fraud, you feel like when you come here on Sunday morning it's impossible to worship God. It just gets worse and worse. Friends, (laughs) this is not freedom. This hurts us. But it doesn't just hurt ourselves. Okay, it hurts other people, y'all. And my experience, my personal experience, validates the reality of what Proverbs is talking about. That sexual sin wounds other people. It wounds them generally as we start to objectify other image bearers of God and treat them as objects for our pleasure. And it wounds very specifically. Husbands, wives, kids, future spouses. Uh, and let, let, me, let me speak to you here if you're not married. Please don't buy the lie that your sexual sin will not hurt other people. You can't just change when you want to change. Have you thought about the conversations you're going to have with your future spouse? Have you thought about the trust issues you're going to have to work through? Have you thought about all the hard work you're going to have to do to unlearn the behaviors that you've trained yourself to operate in? Sexual sin hurts ourselves and it hurts other people. And then the last step down that, that Solomon sort of shows us, and he shows us more clearly than any other step, is this. Sexual sins ultimately aimed at destroying us. It is aimed at killing us. The Puritan John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And Solomon says that's what will happen if we, if we play with this stuff. Last verses of chapter 7. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways and do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. In the long run, this is how we lose it all. Marriage, family, job, purpose, joy, anything that's worth living for. It hangs in the balance when we Entertain this. Lust is trying to kill us. And, and many times she has been successful. Many a victim she has laid low. Her slain are a mighty throng. The bait is enticing, my friends. But there is a hook underneath. It's not worth it. Okay. Maybe you came in this morning. And you're thinking, uh, William... Thanks for the last 20 minutes, but (laughs) I didn't need you to tell me how damaging this was. I get it. Like right now, the hook is in me. And so what do I do? And that's where I want us to spend the rest of the sermon, because there is good news. So here's the first thing we need to do. We need to lift up our eyes from ourself and from our sin, and we need to refocus on something greater. And what I want you to hear is this. There is hope for you. We have a real God who is alive. All the power in the universe is still at his disposal. He wants to bring you into freedom, and he can bring you into freedom. So let's talk about how we do that now, um, because here's the reality, guys. Way too many Christians live completely defeated in this area. 
We walk around with our head down and in a kind of secondhand depression because we think that this is our lot for the rest of our life. Or we buy the lie that, man, this is, this is who I am. This is just it's the cross I got to bear. Okay. Say, so with all due respect to you as a person, <laughs> that is not a biblical idea at all. Um, the true good news of the gospel offers us great hope. But way too many of us live in this um, constant struggle of defeat. And here's, I think, the primary reason why. We try to white-knuckle this. We try to do better and try harder, and we try to put up more rules and more boundaries and um, you know, fill in more safeguards and think that all of a sudden our, things are going to change. But here's the problem, you guys. That is nothing to address the desires. That is nothing to address our thinking. See, if we really want to defeat this, if we really want to gain some freedom and some victory with sexual sin, we can't just try harder. We've got to replace our addiction with a greater addiction. We need to replace it with something that's more satisfying. And so let, let me explain with the illustration. If my little girl um, takes a kitchen knife, and she's on the floor in the kitchen playing with this little knife, and she's pretending that it's a princess, and she thinks it's the most wonderful princess in the world, and she's swinging her knife around, dancing with her princess, and I think, man, this is a dangerous toy for my child. So I go and I say, you can't do that. Give it to me. And I yank it out of her hand um, and put it back. What's going to happen? She's going to scream. She's going to cry. And as soon as I'm not looking, she's going to try to get that kitchen knife again. But what if I go to her? And I say, sweetheart, I got you a bunch of new princesses. And I got you a castle for them, and there's a different dress for every single Disney princess. Do you want to come play? What will she do? She will joyfully hand over the knife because she has found something so much better. And, and friend, this is how you change. You find what is more satisfying than what you're looking for. Right? And, and Paul, Paul makes this clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says this, And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So he's explaining how we're transformed as Christians. Okay? He doesn't say we're transformed by keeping more rules. No, he says we're transformed as we behold the glory of the Lord. As we behold his glory, and in the context of beholding his glory, we, we see in the, early on in the next chapter that it's specifically beholding the glory of God, the glory of Jesus Christ on the cross. And, and, and friends, let me just explain to you how this works practically with sexual sin. And if you don't hear anything else from the whole message, I pray that you would hear this. Um, everything that we're looking for in sexual sin, the desire to be loved, the desire to be wanted, the desire to be pursued, the desire to be accepted, the desire not to be lonely anymore, all the pleasure, all the satisfaction, it's not there. That's an empty well. But there is one who gives living water. All those things are found in Jesus Christ. So, so let me just show you how it plays out. Think with me for a minute about Jesus on the cross, okay? Just think about him there. It's a real event in human history. 
There he is, the perfect son of God. He's innocent. He's spotless. He's undefiled. He's pure. And he is hanging there under the judgment of God. Why is he there? Well, he's there because of my sin. And he's there because of your sin. Because of my perversion and because of your perversion. Because of my shameful secrets and your shameful secrets. That's why he is there. He became sin. But what's he doing there? (laughs) He's saying, can you see how much I love you? Can you see how much I want you? Has any man ever pursued you like this? Has anybody ever gone to this length to forgive you, to accept you, to welcome you? Can't you see that everything you're looking for is in me? All the love, all the pleasure, all the satisfaction. Don't you know my father's word, Psalm 1611? At his right hand. There are pleasures forevermore. Who's at his right hand? The Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, everything that we're looking for is in Jesus. Sexual sin doesn't deliver. He does. He's the only one who does. And the only way to start to break free from this is to look at him and then to look at your sin and say, I don't want that. I want him. If he would love me this way, I want him. Not I can't do this, bad, bad boy. No, you can take that. You can have it. I want the one who loves me, who gave himself for me, who died for me. This is how the hook starts to come out. Okay, but it also requires our action. And the next step we got to take is this. We've got to come clean. Okay, we've got to come clean. Let me show you where I get this in the scriptures. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, how can he be just to forgive us our sins if we sin against him? Well, because Jesus has already paid it. Friends, if we are serious about long-term healing and freedom in the area of sexual sin, we've got to come clean. We've got to own it. We've got to turn from it. Now, let me just remind you how much the cross frees us up to do this. Okay, this is Christianity. Christianity, you guys, is not, I'm good, I keep the rules, look at me and my family. Okay, that is the farthest thing from Christianity. Christianity is the cross of Jesus Christ says, I am so screwed up, it's not even funny. So screwed up that Jesus had to die for me. This is where Christianity starts. Okay, so here's what I know. It's no surprise that this room is filled with people who struggle with sexual sin. Of course. Of course it's filled with people who struggle with sexual sin. Jesus died because we struggle with sexual sin. But here's what else this promise entails. That if we will own it, if we will take it to him and say, will you pay this debt for me? Will you come and start to cleanse me from the inside out? He'll say, it's my joy to do that. But he won't do it until we own our sin. And friends, I know this is scary. Okay, I know that this is a scary thought to own your sin. I remember January 2006 when I came clean to a group of people 
um, with my pornography addiction. And I can't tell you how scared I was. I was so scared. What are these people going to think of me? But friends, as soon as the words get out, as soon as they're brought into the light, the grace of God loves to flood into the heart. And if you do it with Christian brothers and sisters, they are going to rejoice to give you the grace that God's given them. And the power of that sin will start to weaken, and it will start to loosen, and freedom will begin. Now, some of you guys are probably thinking, uh, William, my case is different. Like, you don't, you don't know what I've done. Uh, I just don't know, man. Friend, I would say a couple things to you. First, what's scarier than coming clean is not coming clean. Because then you risk not accepting this awesome forgiveness that is available to you. Okay, and let me just remind you that this is the good news of Jesus Christ. That where our sin abounds, God's grace abounds all the more. This is the scandal of the gospel. That no matter how bad you've been, that no matter how low you've gone, if you would transfer your trust to Jesus Christ, he will delight to forgive you. And if you think I'm lying, think of the woman at the well. Five husbands. Guys she's sleeping with now, not her husband. Do you know how much Jesus loves to forgive that woman? Immediately he forgives her and he says, hey, go tell people about me. Oh yeah, I'll associate with you. You're my sister now. Go tell them. You're in the family. No matter where you've been, God wants to forgive you if you'll come clean. Now, if we'll do those two things, if we'll behold his glory, especially on the cross, and if we will come clean, own our sin and turn from it, then he will rip the hook out. Okay, and it doesn't mean healing's going to happen overnight, but that's the starting point for the process of healing to begin. And then, um, and then the challenge becomes this. We've got to now stay away from the bait. Because here's the truth. The moment we take our eyes off of Jesus, the bait starts to look attractive again. And so there's some disciplines that we can put into play that will help us steer clear of the bait. Solomon gives us a handful of them. Let's look at that now. Um, Chapter 5, verse 1, he says this. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. So again, he's writing to his sons, and he's instructing his sons, he's guarding his sons, and in a real way, he's holding his sons accountable. Okay, so accountability is a discipline that must be in place for us if we're going to steer clear of this bait. Now, let's start with kind of a one-to-one application. Um, Solomon's writing to his boys. And so if you're a parent of middle school or teenager, strong encouragement to talk to your kids about this. Um, And one time before they hit puberty, that's good. Um, But they need regular conversations, regular questions, constantly dialoguing about this. Even if they act too cool or seem like they don't want it, parents, you got to talk to them about it. Um, I read a stat this week that nine out of ten teens say that they would be less likely to explore sexually if their parents would talk to them about it more. Nine out of ten. Okay, so hold, hold kids accountable. Um, and also remember that, man, accountability is not just for kids. We all need it. And in fact, in the book of Hebrews, the author says that we should exhort one another every day. 
as long as it's called today, so that we won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we need to have other people in the fight with us. Men, you got to have other men in the fight with you. Women, you got to have other women in the fight with you. Y'all, use your community groups to find accountability partners. Meet once a week outside of the group. Or every once in a while, break and talk, talk about this stuff. Um, and then if, uh, if the phone or the Internet is an issue for you, there are some great accountability softwares out there. Uh, all the guys on staff use an accountability software called Covenant Eyes. And so here's what that means. I get a bunch of our pastors' um, websites that they've looked at every week. It comes right to me by email. And they get mine. Right? And Bill Fowler's been looking at way too much Star Wars. Um, <laughs> so anyway, we need accountability if we need to stay away from the bait. If you need, if you got questions about setting that up, we'd love to talk to you about it. Um, second discipline that will help keep us from the bait is this. We need to play out the whole tape. Play out the whole tape. I'll tell you what I mean um, through Proverbs 5, 3, and 4. He says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Okay, before you sin, we've got to take time to look past the bait to the hook. That's, that's what Solomon's doing here. Notice this phrase, in the end. He's saying, think through the entire sin process before you indulge yourself for some fleeting pleasure. Don't just think about the honey. Think about the bitter wormwood. Think about the aftertaste. Think about the consequences. you got to play out the whole tape. So if you're tempted with sexual sin, don't just stop with thinking about the pleasure. Think about the pain. Think about the shame. Think about the tough conversations. Meditate on them. Right? What happens is that sin loses its attractiveness pretty, pretty quick. Play out the whole tape. Here's what I tell myself. Pretty girl walks in the room or, you know, pretty girl on TV, William, it's like eating chocolate-covered dog crud. <laughs> it is. It's chocolatey on the outside. <laughs> Pretty soon you realize you're eating crud. It's not worth it. Play out the whole tape. Um, okay, next discipline. Avoid temptation. Avoid temptation. A few verses here. Um, and now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. Right? Keep your way far from her. Don't go near her door. New Testament translation, flee from sexual immorality. Run from it. And here's the principle. It is much easier to avoid temptation than it is to resist it. And let me illustrate it this way. Think of a, think of a guy who's trying to shed a few pounds. Okay? And he's, he's a Krispy Kreme lover, as we all should be. And it's getting late into the afternoon, and he just starts having a Krispy Kreme craving. Just wants him a donut. And so he starts to kind of think about it a little bit. He entertains the thought. It's where it always begins, right? Just entertaining a little desire. And then he says, you know what? I, I could leave a couple minutes early and just drive the long way home. I'm curious as is to see if the hot now sign is on. I don't know if they're making fresh glaze right now, but I'm just curious. I'm not going to go in. I, you know, what can it hurt? So he, he takes the long way home, and sure enough, hot now sign is blinking. And the guy says, well, you know, 
dagnabbit, I hadn't seen my old friends behind the counter in so long. And, you know, a cup of de- what can a cup of decaf hurt before dinner? I mean, I can just go in and smell the donuts being made. I'm just going to smell them. It's just the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition, right? What's going to happen to our buddy? He's going to eat the donuts. And, and friends, some of us say, we say we want to find healing and freedom here, but we keep going back to the Krispy Kreme. It's easier to avoid temptation than it is to resist it. And y'all, just think for a minute about how our Lord talks about this. Does he pray that we would be delivered from sin? He prays, deliver us from temptation. And then when we are confronted with temptation, we're confronted with sin, he says, hey, if your eye causes you to sin, you rip it out. And if your hand causes you to sin, you cut it off. What's the application for us? Well, the application is, if you watch trashy stuff late at night, cancel your channels. If you hook up with your girlfriend late at night while you're watching a movie under a blanket with the door closed, it's not rocket science, right? Don't put yourself in that situation. If you're having an affair, immediately when you leave today, cut it off. Erase the numbers. If the affair is with somebody at work, quit your job. Friend, it is better to enter life with one eye or with one hand or with no job than it is to burn in hell. What about if the phone's your issue? What do you do? Hey, we got some heroes in our church, and I'm not kidding. I think they're heroes who have switched from the smartphone to the Nokia because they don't even want the temptation. And some of you guys think, oh, man, it's just legalistic. It's legalism. No, 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 no. Friend, that is worship. That is, I want Jesus more than I want my sin. And I know myself, hey, I'll, I'll choose Jesus, man. Thanks. I'll give up. I'll give up a few rights. I think, I think those guys are doing okay. Some of us just need to take the steps to avoid temptation. Okay, and then last, last discipline that'll, that'll steer us clear from the bait is this. Enjoy your spouse. Enjoy your spouse. Um, verses 18 and 19. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Some of you guys love this, love this stuff, don't you? Some of you guys are thinking, honey, we've got to get back to biblical obedience. We're slacking. <laughs> I mean, this is the S in spec. Submit to the scripture, honey. Come on. Y'all just send me a check later. You know, just a little... little gratuity. Um, I'm kidding. Listen, sex and marriage is a great gift. It is a gift from God. We need to be great at it. We need to do it regularly. And I know this seems weird for some of you guys. Some Some of my older friends here are looking at me like I just, my face is turning into like an animal or something. But um, listen to what this says. This is the Bible. Always, at all times, be intoxicated in each other's love. It is a godly thing to have romance in your marriage. It's a godly thing. An application for some of you guys is this week, take your wife to dinner. Have great conversation. Create a romantic environment in a way that would serve her and care for her. And cultivate romance. It's biblical obedience. Um, 
And let me quickly speak to unmarried folks here. Please don't buy the lie that um, everything will just get better when you get married. All these passions, all these struggles. Friend, if you don't work on them now, you're going to carry them into your marriage. And in the future, it's going to cause a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. So here's, here's my advice to you. Right now, you take the time to look hard at Christ. You take the time to regularly come clean, to put these disciplines in place so that when God does give a spouse, if he does by his grace, then you'll be able to serve and care for that spouse, not use them for your own pleasure. So make sure you guys do that. The rest of us, enjoy your spouse. Um, Okay, those are four simple disciplines that will protect us from the bait. One more thing I'll add that's not in the text, but it's clearly a biblical concept is this. Regularly pray about this. Right? We need the power of God in this area. And so pray for yourself, for your spouse, for your kids, um, that God would show you how glorious he is, how much more satisfying he is, and then um, and that he'd also show you how disgusting, harmful sin really is. You get a Good look at it. We won't want it. Okay. Just threw a lot at us. Um, all right. I know that for a lot of us, this uh, probably exposed some things in our hearts. Um, and the last thing our church wants to be, you guys, is a church that just sort of, you know, rips open these wounds and exposes your sins and then leaves you out to sort of flounder to figure it out for yourself. So here's what we've done this week. We've started a pastoral care line and a pastoral care email um, that is completely confidential. Nobody will see it except for a couple elders and pastors. Um, And here's what we want to do. If you are struggling with this, if your marriage is not doing well because of this sin, we want to walk with you. We want to talk with you. We want to pray with you. If you need counseling, we want to help with that. We want to help provide resources. We want to be here for you guys. So if you feel like you need help that is um, kind of beyond what your circle of influence can do, please contact us. We really do want to help. Um, okay, and then last, we'll close with this. We're, we're ending today with uh, the Lord's table, and we're, we're doing this very purposefully, and here's why we're doing it. Um, We want to remember that all of our right standing with God, all of our acceptance with God is not based on our sexual record, okay? It's not based on how horrible we've been or how great we've been. All of our hope is in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The only reason that we're right with God is because he died to bear our sins. And so as you have the bread and the cup, if you're a Christian, remember two things. Remember that your acceptance is not based on you. It's based on Christ. And then remember this. If he has the power to save us from hell through the work of of his son on the cross, and he does, then of course he has the power to start to pull these fangs out from us and start to bring us into the healing and into the grace that he wants for us. So let's pray, and then when you're ready, you can take communion. Lord God, we love you. um, And we acknowledge, Lord, that your teaching on this is tough. It's tough. It's very different than what our culture teaches us, Lord. But Lord, we have followed the culture and we have realized that it doesn't deliver. And so now, Lord, by your grace, we just come back to you through Jesus Christ. We receive the grace and the purity 
that he bought for us. We thank you for it. We do see Jesus as so much better. And Lord, we need help now. We need help to be delivered from sexual sin. We need help to fight it each day. Would you give us strength? Would you give us power uh, to gain victory in this area? Um, We cannot do it on our own. We ask that you would help us and that you would be glorified as we receive your grace. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.